hopefully, yes, indeed. Uh, Second John, Third John can be kind of hard to find if you go to Revelation and then go backwards. Maybe that's the easiest way to go. Second John and Third John. You know, speaking of my family, my two-year-old uh, destroyed a library book this week. Can I kind of get a witness? <laughs> he got he got a library book out, and that kid just started ripping. He started tearing things apart. Oh man. Uh, I have a question. You know, what if he had taken my Bible that sits on the stand next to my chair and had ripped the page out? Would I miss it? Would I miss that page? What if the page he ripped out was the one page in the Bible that contains these tiny two epistles, Second John and Third John, and he just reached in and just ripped it out? What was it that God had inspired and preserved those two tiny letters for that I would be missing for my life because my kid ripped that page out. What would I be missing? Would I miss it? Do we ever go here? I want to challenge you that being Scripture, these little personal letters from the Holy Spirit through John, they are profitable. And uh, they help us to become thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in 2 John and 3 John, more pointedly and passionately, I believe, than anywhere else in Scripture, we learn how woven together love and truth are. Love and truth woven together, tied together, uh, probably more profoundly in these tiny little handwritten letters. And so I've concluded that these scriptures teach like nowhere else that the very basis and the boundary of our love is truth. The basis and the boundary of our love is truth. And that's what I'm going to try to appeal to you in these next couple of weeks with to, to join me there, to read the scriptures and to see the, that, that point laid out. Um, it, it'll be important for us to compose a good portrait of what, what is biblical love and, and what is gospel truth. Like, what are these things? How do they, how does the scripture use these terms? And we want fair definitions and, and good examples. Now, something, this is really important. Before you can correct love, you have to be loving. And perhaps the challenge to your soul is this, this uh, these couple weeks we have together is, is you need to grow in love. <laughs> It may be that the message that John was writing about is, is going to miss your heart unless you're already actively, passionately loving, working that out. You know, uh, if we're not committed to Christian love in the first place, there's no business correcting it, right? And before we can tether love to the truth, we have to be very clear as to what gospel truth entails. So... Uh, that's where we're going to go. I invite you just to uh, pray with me before I read the scripture. Uh, let's just ask God to open our hearts to his word afresh. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we consider how worthy you are, how amazing your love is, how amazing your grace is to redeem our hearts, and pray that you'd ready us to hear your word afresh right upon our hearts. Your purposes as your word is opened, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read Second John, 
reading slowly. This, this won't take you any longer than two minutes and 30 seconds, okay? Timed it a few times. It's so short. Here we go. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, Dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let me just share a few thoughts about the context uh, into which we're, we're walking. First John was an epistle prepared for general edification to be read aloud in churches. It was probably a circular that would work its way around a few different churches. You know, paper was not easy to come by. There were no printers. If you wanted to copy something, you had to set it down and you had to copy it hand written every word. And, and First John's pretty big. Uh, I, I hand wrote Second John just to see. It took me 15 minutes to write Second John. Imagine, it's, it's a while to write you know, First John. So these letters carefully preserved, carried around, read. Second John and Third John are so comparatively small, it is highly probable these are written to individuals. And now I want to say something here because some of you probably like me, uh, grew up under the impression that Second uh, John was written to a church because it uses the term the elect lady. And that is an interpretation that started with Jerome, the, the, the one of the church fathers. And he just sort, of, just sort of asserts it, just lays it out there without a whole lot of circumstantial evidence. Uh, and if, so if, if that's the view you've always had, when it says the elect lady, you're like, oh, this is a church. It's like a sort of a code. They're talking to the elect lady. That's how I kind of used to read it. I'm going to suggest to you, after doing some study and research, that it's probably an actual lady. 
that this is an actual person that he's writing to. Now, we can disagree. We can walk through that. You can look at your study notes and all that. Don't let it stumble you. All right? Don't, don't, don't make that a stumbling block. But just consider this, this perspective here that this is a lady. And uh, she's got a grown, some grown children. And John actually has encountered them, met them out of the house. The kids have grown up. They've gone out. And why, lo and behold, they're following the Lord. And he's so full of joy as he sees that. And when he speaks at the end about the elect sister, he's, he's sharing a, a personal greeting. The, the, the small nature of this, of this letter lends itself much more likely to personal correspondence. You think even the tiny letter of Philemon, very personal. Right? So there, there's personal writing that's kind of stamped upon this. Um, but it has been preserved throughout history for our edification, for the whole church. Right? So we can read it. We get to look in on this little handwritten letter. Did you ever, did you ever like open up a, a box or something hidden in the family? I remember as a kid, I went down in the basement, and I, I opened up a chest in the basement, and I found the love letters my mom and dad wrote. Oh, man. I was like, this is really weird. I didn't read many, but I just was like, this is interesting. <laughs> These little personal correspondence. They had saved them in a chest. It's really touching, you know. This is a personal letter, and we get to look in on this. John being the author, we got to remember how heavy on his soul, how weighty Christ's commandment to love one another was. I and mean, that was just so heavy on him. Um, you remember John, who wrote the, uh, you know, the Gospel of John, talks about this. If you want to put your hand and hold it onto 2 John and flip back to the Gospel of John, let me just remind you of a couple passages that John records. In John 15, verses 9 through 17, he, he is remembering Christ, and this is Jesus speaking As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you Love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give it to you these things i command you so that you will love one another and you remember how that thread of thought weighs upon the apostle in his first epistle as pastor daniel has preached you remember in 1 John 3, 11 through 18, just thunder hammer blows of conscience upon us. This is the message that you have heard, 1 John three eleven, from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, he's referring to what, this is so heavy on his heart. You love one another. 
We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, the world hates you. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, he sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I mean, that, I don't know. When I read that, I just want to go crawl away and be like, no, because <laughs> it's just so convicting, right? Do you feel like you love enough? I don't. My word, I have so much. I'm so selfish. I think the Apostle John just got that, just deeply kind of ingrained in him. It was his, it was his go-to thought. And he's like, what, what, is, what am I supposed to do? And I, I want to submit to you that the entirety of the Christian life subsists in the duty and obedience of love. When the Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Galatia, remember when he was writing, and he's, they were trying to persuade people to go get circumcised and adding that to the gospel. He's like, none of that matters. All that matters is what? Faith working through love. That matters. We'll, we'll look at some other passages that just underscore that. But I want to submit to you that the whole purpose of the Christian life is love. The entire purpose is love. That's what you and I are saved for. That's our whole purpose in life. If we're, not, if we're not doing that, then the correctives of this little epistle, this little letter, the correctives about love aren't going to really matter because you're not doing it in the first place. We have to be loving. Now, Having kind of laid that out there, let me remind you that this is also a time in which there are many false teachers that are bothering these churches. They're going around with false messages. They're, they're, they're proclaiming er, error, errant doctrines. And uh, some pretended to be apostles. And in Corinthians, Paul talks about pseudo-apostles or so-called super-apostles. Um, some were tied into heresies. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but this is the thing I want you to remember as, as you think about John's passion for the church. He wants them to be living out love. But he's so concerned about false teaching. He doesn't want that love to get in and embrace false teaching. And that, that's the problem. If we're truly showing love, we're going to run into that error. If we're not practicing love, then, then we'll, we'll never even have that error, right? Because we won't even love Orthodox brothers and sisters will be like so selfish. But if we're full of love, we're going to need correctives because we're going to risk falling in love with error. You know, more moral failure will devastate a church. If you've ever encountered this, I've seen it more than once. It is so painful to see moral failure just wreck a church. But you know what will destroy a church? False teaching. Here's how this works. It's very simple. You're saying, well, pastor, if, you, if you're a false teacher, I, nothing would be wrong with, I, I, I'd resist it. I know the truth. Yeah, what about your kids? Your kids are going to have questions. They're not going to be sure now. 
well, I remember that pastor, he raised these issues, or he had a different view. What about their kids? Do you think, do you think that they're going to hold fast to what is true? What happens with false teaching is that it's like a disease that's contagious, and in the end, the next generation and the next, eventually, the church is dead. You don't believe me? We just had a church down in Cumberland here a couple years ago that was bulldozed, the building was bulldozed to the ground long, long after it had left orthodoxy. It had turned into some Unitarian, Universalist nonsense, right? And here's what happened, right? The first people believed the gospel, and then false teaching came in, and they adopted all kinds of nonsense. But they were still a community, and they erected this church. And then what happens after that? Well, their kids go, ah, yeah, we'll sort of keep this going a little bit. And what happens with their kids? Why should I believe that? I'm not going to church, man. Sunday, I like to do other things, right? I'm going to go out to the park on Sunday. I'm not going to, who cares about any of this? And eventually, it dies. It dies. Moral failure will damage a church. False teaching will destroy it. Remember that. The apostle John is so concerned about false teaching. He's like, I want you to love with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But you got to watch out for false teaching. Now, let's just walk in exposition right through this. Uh, Pastor Daniel will take time and, and zero in on, on some other things. But um, at the beginning, we read in verses 1 through 3, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love, that's who I agape, or agapo, in the truth, aletheia, the two words that, that show up all over this place, agape love and aletheia truth. If I ever had a daughter, we've tried, and all we can have is sons, so my wife blames me. I would love a daughter named Aletheia, right? Isn't that a beautiful name? Truth, it's a wonderful name, right? Agape and Aletheia, these are the two things. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Each time that word truth comes back. Because the truth that because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. So the elder is the author. That's John. And at this time, I think it's it's a fair record from church history that John has returned from Patmos and that he is exercising an apostolic kind of ministry. He's appointing elders, he's appointing bishops around to these little churches in the region. He's living in Ephesus, Ephesus is the center, and he's, he's, he's traveling as the churches would call him. He would settle disputes and do things like that. He's the elder. My case to you is that the elect lady is a lady, that she is a Christian lady who's got a family. One of the things that we kind of miss, because it happens so fast in Scripture, we miss how, uh, how important women were in the early church. Many women uh, owned property, owned homes, and those homes became where the church met. Um, that was very, very common. We see even in, um, in the Gospel of Luke, I, I'm pulling this from the top of my head, I think it's Luke 8, where we see all the women that accompany Christ and the apostles, and the women were we're meeting their needs out of their own funds. <laughs> this is, you know, I think we, we live in a world where we don't really process that super well, but that's just how it worked. You remember in Philippi, that who was the first believer in Philippi? It was a godly woman. There was no synagogue or place of worship. It was Lydia and the church that met in her house. We, we find these things happening. So it may be that this is a letter to a woman who's got a, a church that meets in her house, or maybe she just has a ministry sort of in that Christian community that's particularly well-known, or she's serving the church out of her 
means. And uh, her children, I believe, do refer to her actual children. And uh, so we move on to verse 4. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, I don't know what sports you all are into. Some of you are really into sports. It's the season for my kids to start doing sports. You know, when your kid scores or makes a, you know, or, you know, whatever, uh, you just cheer from the bottom of your heart, right? Can I get an amen? You're just so excited for the kids, right? I have a, a my six-year-old is playing soccer for the very first time ever, and it's hilarious. And my older boy is playing high school soccer, and it's, a lot less hilarious, a whole lot more serious, <laughs> right? But if you're into pro sports and you watch college sports or whatever, man, when, when, when points are scored, you're like, yeah, right? Right? I, and why is it that we're not this excited about things? This word, I rejoice greatly, is, the, is literally the word eureka. <laughs> you know, like, eureka, right? This is, he's like, I'm so happy. He's like, I, I could be happier, your, some of your children are walking in the truth. You think about that. That is a big deal. You know, it was, I just can knock it over how beautiful it is to have this crowd of children. That when we children may be dismissed, you know, I'm like, wow, it's so exciting. It's so beautiful to see. It's awesome. You know, those children very quickly become your church. I mean, that's what happens. They grow up, and next thing you know, whoa, you're, you know, some of you are like, right now, you're still changing diapers, and like two seconds later, you're going to be bawling as you give away your daughter at the altar. I mean, that is going to happen so fast. Things fly. Time flies. It goes way too fast. And then your heartache sets in, because all you want is for your kids to walk in the truth. Please don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you know, you're biting your tongue as a parent. Finally, when you get to be a grandparent, you're like, you call up your grandkid, you're being dumb, stop it. You can finally tell them the truth, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't wait to be a grandparent, right? It'd be awesome. <laughs> Is this being recorded? I should be careful. Okay. <laughs> right? But I mean, like, let's be honest, that, that zeal that we have to know that our kids walk in the truth, it's so, I mean, and John's encouraging her, oh, this is good, this is good. They're, they're holding fast, you know, make, you know what it's like? Kids put up their appearance. Oh, I come to church. Mm-hmm. And then what happens when you go out? Well, I'm, I'm gone, right? And all of a sudden, the tidal wave of the world stuff and work and career and relationships and foolishness, it all just like, it hits you like a ton of thunder. And you're like, I wasn't ready for all that. And it's so amazing when you find somebody and they're grown and on their own. Ha. <laughs> Eureka! Full of joy. That's where our joy should be. They're still walking in the truth. And, uh, and then he, he uses this expression, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so, uh, you know, this, this idea of walking in the truth and loving one another get woven together. So the idea of walking in the truth, and you'll see it again, and verse 6, walk according to the commandments. So there's a whole group of, of uh, students in this time that were called, this is a big word, but it means walking. They're called the peripatetics. It just means walking, the peripatetics. And these were Aristotelian 
philosophers that had their own school. And I, I think the, the Apostle John is kind of using that whole term that would have been common in that culture, like those who walk in the way of Aristotle. He's like, y'all walk in the way of Jesus, right? And he's saying, you're walking in the way of Christ. Like, this, this is who you are. This is your school. This is who you belong to, right? You're walking in the way of Christ, walking in the truth. Uh, we see that parallel expression, not as though I'm writing you a, a new commandment. If, if you have been studying carefully in 1 John, you'll recognize that from 1 John 2, 7, where he's like, it's not a new commandment I'm writing you, but one we've had from the beginning. You can see he's using that same expression, this commandment that's heavy on his heart to love, this commandment to love and to obey, right? In verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So you see that love, love is, is constrained by and starts with the truth. You've got you to start with the truth, and then that love can proceed and should grow naturally. I'll tell you, one of the scariest things to be a pastor is to look out on a congregation. And, of course, I, I get to be a visitor. So I, I, this is not personal to you all, but as I've done this, it's the scariest thing. So look out on a congregation of people that have been in church for 30, 40 years, Pastor. I've been here 50 years I've been here. And you're like, man, y'all aren't loving any better or any different. There's no growth. All you've been doing is you, you've been sitting underneath preaching for a long time. That's good, but your obeying is like whew, way back. Like God did not inspire a book for us merely to learn stuff. He inspired it for us to obey. And we obey far less than we know. And that is one of the most gripping things that as a pastor you you feel upon your heart because you feel like i got to give an account for these people and, and god's not there saying what kind of scores they get on the exam you gave <laughs> he's like did you love did you walk in my community like did you do you love one another that's that's what weighs on a pastor's heart is to obey and you can see that in john he, he, you start here with the truth but then you need to love you need to obey obey so Having kind of laid that much out, we get down to verse 7, and it's here that uh, he really just kind of lays in and talks about the problems. And he writes this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now this is going to harmonize with what he had written, if you remember, in 1 John chapter 4. Let me just read that to you again. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many, look how he, he phrases this, false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. So yeah, that's just, just remember the echo of that, of that epistle, the general epistle to the church. This was a problem. The apostle John saw false teaching in the false teaching of this day. Uh, seemed to group around people who were, you know, saying, you know, you know it, okay, I, I will teach you. You want to know the secret of, of so many false teaching? 
in the Bible. Here's the secret. <clears throat> it's as if Jesus walked on water. It's, it's as if Jesus rose from the dead. It's as if Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. It's as if. Let me tell you what. I, you, you think that's dead? I was listening to a podcast last night, and this guy was like giving his interpretation of the Gospels. And I promise you, he just said, it's as if this. And I was like, what is happening? It's just like, it's all over again. Look, here it is. And so this is what's happening. People are coming in. They're saying, well, yeah, there was a, a man named Jesus. He was born of, you know, Joseph and Mary. And, and then, you know, maybe at his baptism, for example, like, you know, the Holy Spirit descended on him and he was given this spiritual unction and power. And then he started performing all these miracles and all this. And then when he was crucified, the Holy Spirit ascended off of him. And, and, and there you go. And so there's a separation between the physical Jesus man and the Christos, the Christ. And th this false teaching was going on. People were coming and they were saying, oh, it's... You know, it's sort of like, it's, it's as if the Christ came in the flesh. I mean, there was a, a literal Jesus, but the actual spiritual realm is something of which the physical world cannot pollute, right? There's, there's spiritual things and there's physical things. Now, Pastor Daniel may have walked you through Gnosticism and the teaching of Serinthus and some of these other false teachings, but that's very common. These guys were coming around, and, and so they were... You know, the church at this time, you think about it, it wasn't a church that's divided into, you know, well, we're the Baptists over here, and we got, we got our Presbyterians over here, and we got our Roman Catholics down the road, we got our Methodists, we got our this and that. It's not separated out this way. You know, every, every town has got its like, oh, those are the people that follow Jesus. It's the way, right? And so these, these Christians were going, aren't you supposed to show me love? And they're showing up. And they're, they're walking into churches, and they're saying, hey, aren't you supposed to show me love and hospitality? Hello, ma'am. I come bringing the message of God. Right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sent one. I'm an apostle. I came from Jerusalem, maybe. You know. So, don't you want to show me hospitality? In this day and age, failing to show hospitality was like the greatest shame you could possibly do. Right? I mean, if you fail to show hospitality, whew, it's a big deal. And so they showed true, genuine love. And the problem was that these people were welcoming in false teaching. And the Apostle John is seeing this happening in the church. He's seeing people walk away from the truth. And instead of rejoicing in children who are walking in the truth, he's seeing people get twisted and bent. And he is irate about this. These people are deceivers. This, these people are anti-Christ. They're against. Look at verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So not only were they failing to tell the truth about Christ, but the actual precepts that Christ taught that we read about in our Gospels, those precepts were being disregarded. And so people were allowing all sorts of licentiousness to go on. Well, God forgives sin you know, after all, sin's just a physical thing. And so, you know, if you sin, it's like, well, you know, my body sinned. Oh, shucks. You know, Friday night came again. I sinned. But, you know, my heart is clean on Sunday. Really? John's like, not a thing. No, not a thing. What are you doing? No, stop that. You need to abide in the teaching of Christ. There needs to be holiness. 
Uh, I, can, I can go on into great depth, but it's probably not as profitable for us since he doesn't name them. But, you know, Serinthus in his teachings, the Nicolaitans and, and their debauched behaviors and lifestyles, those were very, very distressing things. When you walk away from the truth, what ends up happening is that your whole, everything bends. Sin comes in and pollutes everything, and then your life ultimately ends up just giving birth to all these weeds, all this sin. But, he says, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So there's a danger here, losing what the apostles worked for. I talked to you about how fast this happens. You have your little kids now, they're gone in a second. If they embrace false teaching, the church will die right away. Because you and I, we're not going to be here forever. Right? That next generation needs the truth. May not win a full reward. There's a danger in the church actually not receiving the rewards that God has promised to grant us at the famous seat of Christ. You know, it's where, it's where at, when you run the race, right? The Apostle Paul says, you know, I've, I've, I've finished the course. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight, right? I'm probably mixing up the order there a little bit. But that idea of like you win the race and then you come and you stand before the adjudicant who gives you that little wreath. Remember the, remember the wreath? You give it to the winner. It's called the cotinos. You give that cotinos to the winner. And like, this is your reward. And then you get to walk around like, you know, like you all see like the, you know, the, the Caesar <laughs> little wreath, right? That's what you win if you're an athlete. You won the prize. You're going to lose that reward. You're going to lose these rewards if you fall into sin and you live an ungodly, debauched life. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, verse 10, do not receive him into your house. Now, again, this is very personal and pointed. I am reading this saying this lady and probably others in the church are wanting to show love. They're being obedient. Now, here's where you and I think fail. You and I are probably a whole lot, can I say this gently, a whole lot less attentive to genuine love. And this church was, I believe that John is writing to a church that is lavishly giving till it hurts. They're showing a love that's just unbelievable. And they're welcoming anyone into their home. I mean, to be a Christian was to be this, you're, you're kind of a, a very special guest, right? You come along into my town. I'm going to just roll out the red carpet for you. Chick-fil-A. Oh, we're going on. <laughs> what? I mean, this is going to be a big deal. But if you, if you greet this false teaching, you take part in their wicked works. Listen to that. The wicked works that go on. So having just laid this out, think this through. He's, he's wanting to write more. Though I have much to write to you, verse 12, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so our joy can be complete. Face to face is best. Let's think about that. He, he, he wants to have this conversation face to face. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. You know, we would much rather send a text. He's like, I would rather see you face to face. <laughs> the children of your elect sister greet you. Greetings, I believe, they're from another Christian woman. Let me just walk through some applications and then close with a, a piece of history for you today before we sing a closing song. You know, the basis, the starting point, and the boundary of our love is the truth. If you don't start with the truth as your basis, then you're going to end up being all wrong from the beginning. We have to start with truth from the beginning. I, I, I talk to people, how did you come to Christ? You no, know, you're a Christian, good. Well, I just, I don't 
know, just kind of felt like Jesus stuff, things, maybe. Like, you're going to be all over the place, man, if that's where you're starting. Like, what, do you, what did you believe? What do you believe? You have to have some concrete beliefs. I talk to young people, and they answer this way. <laughs> what? You have to believe things. Not everything, but my goodness. <laughs> You've got to believe. So you got to start with the truth. But then you start with the truth, and Ephesians 2.10 has been hugely convicting to my heart. Right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our whole purpose in life, is faith working through love. We are for good. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for them. That's what you and I exist for in Christ, for good works. And so if we're not showing love, if we're not growing in love from that foundation of truth, friends, stop the train and sort this right now in your heart. We've got to be growing in love. That's what we're for. And the great news is those good works he's prepared in advance for us to walk in, it says in Ephesians 2.10. That's what we're for. So we start with the truth. We grow in love. Love is our battle cry. That's, that's as Christians, love. That's what we're about. Love's the reason for which we're saved. Faith working through love, that matters. Of all the fundamental cardinal Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, right? And if you can't get through your study in 1 John and not get that, you're missing. I mean, love, people. Truth, though, defines who we are. Because what happens is you can start right, you can be loving, and then what happens? Drips of poison get into your life, and all of a sudden your love gets bent sideways. And all of a sudden, well, now, this may not be your experience, but I'm going to tell you, having pastored in a few different states, I've watched this happen. Christians who are so full of love, they're, they're wider and wider and wider until eventually they're embracing false teaching. Well, I just, I just, I'm going to love that person no matter what. It's like, yeah, and if you're not really careful, brother, <laughs> you're going to end up swallowing a poison pill. You've got to be really careful with that kind of love. You've got to be very wise with that. What kind of love are we talking about? I watched this happen, uh, and it became a really, a real mess in some churches I've, I've pastored before. We've got to be careful. The truth has to define and become the boundary for our love. If people are promoting false teaching that's not in accordance with scripture, then like we have to be very cautious about that. Let, let me caution you on the other side, because I come from a very legalistic kind of a background. I, I wouldn't say my parents were that way, but the churches I grew up in were kind of well, a little legalistic. And so we have a thing going on right now that I would just call Christian cancel culture, where if someone doesn't jot, you know, their I's or cross their T's exactly like we do, we just want to cancel them entirely. I'm not talking about that, right? Be, be careful about that. I don't think the Apostle John is talking about that. I think he's really looking at the core of what the gospel is. You know, you think about the, the false teachings that the people that knock on your door with their nice ties and their white shirts. And, can I speak to you today about this? And can I, you know? Those people are coming from a totally different framework. They are, they are totally denying Christ and who he is. They are warping and twisting scriptures, adding to it, messing it around. That's the sort of thing we've got to be very careful about. You may think, Pastor, I'm never going to go there. I'm, just, I'm walking on the straight and narrow. Ah, 
I'm going to tell you, man, I, if, if I got a dime for every person that said, I'm going to walk on the straight and narrow, and the next thing you know, I'm like, you went to what conference? What are you talking about? It's amazing how fast people get bent and turned just because a friend invited them to a place or this. Folks, you've got to hold steady to what is true. Truth defines who we are, and the gospel subsists in truth. It's practical. It's propositional. You've got to hold to it. Listen, there's no correction of love unless we're already loving. Love will go wrong if it begins wrong. It begins with truth. Any other starting point, there's no love of the Father. Love will go wrong if it's not controlled then by truth. It can be bent and ruled by falsehood. Moral failure, as I said, is bad, but false teaching is deadly. So start right with the truth. Love is what we're saved for. And then as we love, we love according to the truth. Yet, you know, truth and love are so big, they become parts of what we swear and covenant and promise with one another. What is sworn testimony in a court of law, right? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? That's what we swear, even in a court of law. It's called sworn testimony. Think about our wedding vows. Love is so crucial. We vow to our spouse to love and to cherish till death do us part. These things are so important. They're so woven together. They're never meant to be shred apart. I want you to get a a sense of the Apostle John's heart. You know, one of the things that uh, we sometimes struggle with is, is appreciating church history and what church historians have recorded for us. If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know that John Fox records kind of what happens to the apostles. and Well, what happened to them? How did they die? How did they live their lives? The Apostle Thomas, we always remember, is doubting Thomas. Yeah, but if you read church history, he also preached Christ and went all the way to the Indus River in India. There's people in India to this day that still name their Christian heritage after the Tomasian background. It's an amazing thought. These apostles went on. Peter, you know, he was crucified And so that he wouldn't be crucified like Christ, he was crucified upside down. I mean, just some graphic stuff. Well, concerning the Apostle John, Eusebius, the great historian of the church, tells a fascinating account. And uh, he, he describes this account. Let me just read to you from Eusebius. And uh, here's what Eusebius writes. I'll close with this. Listen to a story. This is not just a story, but a true account of John the Apostle preserved in memory. After the tyrant's death, he returned from the island of Patmos to Ephesus and used to go when he was asked to the neighboring Gentile districts to appoint bishops, to reconcile churches, to ordain someone designated by the Holy Spirit. Arriving at a city nearby Smyrna, he settled disputes among the brethren and then noticing a spirited youth of superior physique and handsome appearance, he commended him to the appointed bishop with these words, I leave this young man in your keeping with Christ as my witness. So when John returned to Ephesus, that churchman brought home the youth entrusted to his care, raised him, and finally baptized him. But after this, he relaxed his oversight, having put the seal of the Lord on him as the perfect safeguard. But some idle and dissolute youths 
corrupted him with lavish entertainment, and then took him with them when they went out at night to commit robbery or worse, crimes. Soon he joined them, and like a stallion taking the bit in his mouth, he dashed off the straight road and down the precipice, renouncing God's salvation. He went from petty offenses to major crimes and formed the young renegades into a gang of bandits with himself as chief, surpassing them in all violence and bloody cruelty. Time passed, and the Apostle John paid another visit. When he had finished his mission, John said to that pastor, Come now, bishop, return the deposit that Christ and I left in your keeping with the church as witness. At first, the bishop was dumbfounded, thinking he was being asked for money that he had never received. But John said, I'm asking for that young man and for his soul. Oh, he's dead, groaned the old man in tears. How did he die? John asked. Well, he's dead to God. He turned out vile and debauched and outlaw, and he's, he's now up in the mountains. He's not in the church. He's up there with an armed gang of men like himself. Eusebius writes this. The apostle tore his clothing, beat his head. He groaned, oh, fine guardian I left for our brother's soul. Get me a horse and someone to show me the way. He rode off from the church, just as he was. He arrived at the hideout. He was seized by the outlaws' sentries. He shouted, this is what I've come for. Take me to your leader. And John approached the young man. The young man recognized him and turned and fled in shame. But John ran after him as hard as he could, forgetting his age, calling out, why are you running from me, child from your own father? Unarmed and old, pity me, child, don't fear me. I will give an account to Christ for you, and if necessary, gladly suffer death and give my life for yours, as the Lord suffered death for us. Stop. Believe. Christ sent me. The young man stopped, stared at the ground, threw down his weapons, and wept bitterly, flinging his arms around the old man. He begged forgiveness. He was baptized a second time with his own tears. (laughs) But he kept his right hand hidden. John, however, assured him that he had found forgiveness for him from the Savior. He prayed, knelt down, and kissed the right hand as being cleansed through repentance. And led him back. Didn't leave him until through prayer, fasting, and instruction, he'd restored him to the church A great example of true repentance and regeneration, the trophy of a visible resurrection. Friends, that's the kind of love that the Apostle John, history records, lived out in his old age. How are you and I doing with our love? Are we so grounded in the truth, so vibrant in love, so controlled by the truth that we're willing to give everything up in order to show the passion of God's love and his forgiving and redeeming grace, I just ask you to examine your heart today. I'm going to close in prayer and invite our musicians back up. We're going to have a song uh, in closing here. We're going to sing, O Come to the Altar. And uh, let's just pray together as we go to God. Gracious Lord.
I thank you for your great love. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for finding us in our sin and for showing us your great redeeming grace. Father, thank you for starting us, grounding us, and guiding us by your truth. And now, forgive us, Father, for so often our, our, our arms open wide and, and we embrace error. Help us, I pray, to walk in the truth, to abide in your truth. Help us to show that great Christian love that you demonstrate for us now. And Father, as we even sing this song about coming before you, we know the altar is not a place to show off, but a place for us to, to literally lay down a sacrifice for us to, in fact, die to ourselves. And I pray that you would help us to live in Christ. Thank you for this little letter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's, uh, let's sing.